0: The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Rev. Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church, where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City, and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie.
1: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Proverbs chapter eight, verses one through four, and twenty-two through thirty-one. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of God's work, the first of God's acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, when God had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil, when God established the heavens, I was there, when God drew a circle on the face of the deep, when God made firm the skies above, when God established the fountains of the deep, when God assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress God's command, When God marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside God, like a master worker, and I was daily God's delight, rejoicing before God always, rejoicing in God's inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. Here ends this reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Proverbs 8, a feminist biblical scholar's dream come true. I'm sure no one here is surprised that wisdom is personified as a woman. to wallow in this metaphor for a while, given what women have been told about being too emotional, too unstable, too loud, too much. There's just one problem. Folly is also personified as female. In Proverbs 7, The speech is entirely a monologue of a woman, folly, described as smooth-talking, who targets a young man who is as dumb as an ox. That's not my words. It's in the Bible. Words primarily attributed to King Solomon. I mean, so I guess we won't be too smug about woman wisdom Although I guess a... I mean kind of a band-aid is to say that even though God is often gendered as male, so is Satan. (laughs) Proverbs is presented as a teaching directed from King Solomon to a royal son, we don't know which one, instructing this son to hold fast to the lessons taught to him by his parents. We might think of it, Proverbs, as one of those slim books of advice we give to high school and college grads, even though it might be more helpful if we were just as direct and practical as a country song. Beer don't keep, trucks don't wreck themselves, everybody sins, nobody wins in a fight, if it's close. Swing the bat, everybody's got a past, love is worth living for. Grandparents are usually the best at delivering these lines, mostly I think because they know the importance of brevity and clarity, and they have the experience to back it up. Many of us know a few sayings from Proverbs even if we don't know that's where they come from as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another Proverbs 27:17 or pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall Proverbs 16:18 which we usually shorten to pride cometh before a fall people tend to know the misquoted excerpts from Proverbs a little better like spare the rod spoil the child instead of the actual verse, Proverbs 13, 24, which reads, those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. And there's some important nuance there that doesn't endorse corporal punishment. So the book of Proverbs is Solomon's collection of advice to his son, hear, my child, your father's instruction, it says in the first chapter, and do not reject your mother's teaching, for they are a fair garland in your hair and pendants for your neck. We overhear his wisdom. But it's a little bit awkward, you know, because, well, much of the advice is given by interweaving the son's relationship with wisdom and the son's search for a wife. The quest of the young royal for understanding is narrated as if it were the search of a single man for love. This romantic quest is presented as a a diptych, the youth caught between two prospects, wisdom and folly, both vying for his affections. The father and mother direct their son to pursue, to heed, to hold fast to and love wisdom. She will be his source of life and well-being. And in light of this thematic interplay, it makes sense that Proverbs ends by extolling the virtuous wife, a woman of valor who can find she is worth far more than rubies. The book of Proverbs, which begins with the larger-than-life figure of woman wisdom, ends with a teaching about a very ordinary Israelite woman who actually embodies wisdom's qualities. Neither of the descriptions, woman wisdom or the woman of Proverbs 31, are what we expect. The woman of Proverbs 31 is not described as a traditional housewife with supper on the table, a starched apron over a knee-length dress and pearl necklace and supper ready by the time the mister walks in at six. The ideal woman of Proverbs 31 is a person of strength, dignity, and social power, one who does not only provide for her family, but for the entire community. Someone should let the Southern Baptist Convention know this. They are currently reaffirming that preaching is outside of a woman's gender role, and it will surprise them to find that the Bible directly contradicts 1950s white middle-class American expectations of women. The description of wisdom is just as surprising to us As Debbie Blue says, Wisdom seems like something you find after many years, something elusive like an old mystic in a cave in the desert. You might have to fast if you want to get a glimpse of her, or trek up to an altitude of 20,000 feet to a Buddhist monastery in Nepal, lead a contemplative life, do lots of reading. So it's surprising to open up the book of Proverbs and find wisdom in the busiest place in town, beside the gates, at the entrance of the portals, perhaps even at the market where people go to sell and buy things. We can imagine someone hawking watches to her, to her left, a, a hot dog vendor to her right. More than that, it turns out wisdom is complete completely indiscriminate. She calls out to the dullards, the dolts, and all the fools, offering her companionship to anyone, being available and loud, a woman yelling in the street, this is women, and it occurs to me that she might be called nasty. woman wisdom. If this is a book of wisdom, it is too unexpected for us to find out that she is crying out from the crossroads and this might be strange to us particularly in Oklahoma City because we might imagine her standing in the median and we don't have that here in Oklahoma City. We don't allow people to cry out from the median We fine people $100 for that kind of behavior, people who are crying out for help, crying out for money. We fine those folks with no sense of irony that we are using monetary fines to punish people who are begging for money. If only the Bible had something to say about that. If we were to take this text seriously, Instead of fining people who panhandle for money in the medians, we would see them as woman wisdom, and we would ask for their wisdom, the why, where, what, and how of their situation, and then respond accordingly. We're beginning to do this. The Curbside Chronicle is one of the most important responses to homelessness that we can support and several of us in this congregation participate in the homeless alliances point in time study going out at 4 in the morning to speak to those who are living in tents and under blankets overpasses and bridges because we know that's where wisdom sleeps perhaps this is why wisdom says in proverbs 8:17 i love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me That includes four in the morning. The rest of this morning's text, verses 22 through 31, is a poem where wisdom describes where she came from. She wasn't created by the strict logic of men rationally conceiving principles to live by. As she tells the story, she was birthed by God. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. And when God established the heavens, I was there. When God drew a circle on the face of the deep, when God made firm the skies above, when God established the fountains of the deep, when God assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress God's command, when God marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside God like a master worker. Scholar Ellen Davis suggests that this verbal portrait may well have given inspiration to Michelangelo's painting of the creation on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. In the famous scene where the spark of life passes from God's finger to Adam's, there appears at God's side a young woman with eyes alert her knee bent, poised for action. God's non-creating hand is thrown around her shoulder in a casual but intimate gesture. The woman is sometimes identified as Eve, but the contrast between her strong but delicate beauty and the coarse figure of Michelangelo's Eve is pronounced. It is far more likely that this, The most convincingly feminine portrait he ever painted is wisdom, as she is represented in Proverbs 8. Strong and eager, this is wisdom, the master worker, sharing God's excitement and delight in the fresh new world and its inhabitants. Davis continues to draw us into this interpretation of the text by pointing out that the NRSV translation of verses 30 and 31, which we read, is weak. The carefully constructed lines are more accurately rendered. And I was delights daily, playing before God continually, playing in God's inhabited world, and my delights were with human beings. The picture of wisdom playing, even giddily, before God has an important theological implication and it is that the image of divine wisdom playing suggests that playfulness is part of our proper response to God. This is an obvious, although not necessarily common, way of understanding the famous dictum of Jesus in Matthew 18:3. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Theology and statements of faith are often considered to be a very sober business, but perhaps it is more appropriately understood as playing gracefully with ideas, with work, with creation, with God. Imagine what the Church might be like if this had been our motto all along. Playing gracefully. It's hard to play though, isn't it? When we are worried about staying in control or keeping control, we are not always able to play gracefully if it means something is new or different. We cannot see what could be because we would rather be comfortable. It's hard to play gracefully when we are worried about keeping our seat. Whether we're at church or at work or even volunteering, I mean, God knows what would happen if we let someone take a turn serving dessert at 363. (laughs) Or if we were to try a different Sunday school or choose a different pew to sit in. I mean, who are these people who sit on the pulpit side? (laughs) And of course... It's almost impossible to play when we are consumed by fear of failure. This is, I think, the main reason why we don't play, why we don't take risks, why we stay in our lane. Our inability or unwillingness to be playful says something about what we really believe. As Marilyn McIntyre reminds us, permission to play comes most deeply from the conviction that one is loved, that the play will be rewarded, that what we call failure is an essential part of the process. It is the attitude that allowed Chesterton to proclaim that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And on to advise that you should leap before you look. It lies behind paradoxes like make haste slowly, And when you're hanging on for dear life, let go. The feeling that we are permitted to play allows us to let go of outcomes, a basic teaching of most wisdom traditions, and to receive the promptings of the Spirit who moves within us and among us to ends we cannot and need not foresee. To play is to claim our freedom as beloved children of God and to perform our most sacred task, what we feel we are called to do in the world, with abandon and delight, free to experiment and fail, free to find out and reconsider, free to say something we might need to take back, free to look stupid in the interests of honesty because there are no grades. And there is no competition in the kingdom of heaven. Children who feel completely safe and loved are playful. And so, to play is to live in grace. Oh, that we would believe it, trust it, have faith. As we turn over these images in our minds and as we meditate on this description of wisdom, wisdom Wisdom's own words about herself and the questions, these questions that she prompts us to ask, they are really all the same. Do we have ears to hear and eyes to see? Will we take the scripture seriously? So let us roll up our sleeves, church, just as we might imagine woman wisdom doing. Whether in the street, elbow-to-elbow with fellow travelers looking to draw the circle wide, or playing in the dirt and the stars with God, dreaming and creating a new world, let us be known for our indiscriminate welcome, for being in the middle of the chaos, calling for reason and justice to anyone, anyone who will listen. Let us be known for playing gracefully with ideas, not for our white-knuckle grip on dogma and creeds. Let us be known for giving up our seat at the table, trusting that by widening the circle, love will increase. Let us be known for faith, not fear, when it comes to what's next. Let us live in grace that we have been promised, that we have received already and will receive again. After all, we are children of God. Let's play like it.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at MayflowerUCC.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.